everyone, this is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm back with another installment of the News of the Month series on the Kerr Reviews podcast. This is where I talk about a few different entertainment news stories that feel important and or interesting to me. And I actually have a guest joining me to talk about the stories I've selected from this past month. He's an actor who has appeared on the stage and screen. Not only that, but he's also a playwright, director, theater critic, and historian. He's written a novel titled Up in the Cheap Seats, a historical memoir of Broadway, which chronicles his years as a teenage theatergoer and includes interviews with more than 100 Broadway theater artists. Please welcome Ron Fastler. Hello there. To you and to anyone who's listening. So how are you doing? I'm well, thank you very much. And uh, how how have you been doing during this time of the COVID-19 crisis? Well, like most members of your audience, I miss going out to the theater, to a movie, uh, to a restaurant. We'll just have to be patient. I think that it's only going to be a matter of time before we get back to some semblance of normal, and then we'll see what new world we're all facing, right? Right. That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) So how have you been able to keep yourself occupied? You know, this is not, uh, you know, being a call to duty in World War II, you know. The sacrifices are not so terrible. I've got uh, so many books to read. I I actually have been uh, pulling out my coffee table books. They're great for decoration on your coffee table, but some of them have some fantastic texts in them, and I never lift them, heavy lifting that they are, and open them up and read them. And I'm really, really getting some great pleasure from that. And then there's always movies and television shows and series and films. I mean, and I write. So that's what I try to do most every day. It's very important as a writer to always flex those muscles. Don't let them atrophy. Keep writing. I've also gone to setting my alarm clock again. I know there's nothing to wake up for, but uh, I think it's a better thing psychologically to rise and shine. So I guess let's talk about some of the news stories I've selected to talk about today, shall we? Sure. So last month, I talked about how Broadway shut down due to COVID-19, and at that time, they scheduled it only for a few weeks, but now it's extended through June 7th. It's going to be longer. Well, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me, but hey, I guess we shall get a better idea as we head into May. Yeah, it's going to be a tremendous challenge, and I'm sure that you've been reading about various scenarios that could play themselves out. I think that the one positive change that we'll get, and I I think this is going to happen right here in New York, I think that Broadway ticket prices are going to have to come down. I think we can say goodbye to the $400 VIP seating. really don't think that anybody's going to want to pay that kind of money uh, in our new economy when, when things start to settle and get back. And I think there may have to be some concessions from unions. I think we're going to have to figure out a way to produce things cheaper so that we can charge cheaper ticket prices. And I think all of that is a good thing. I think the runaway costs have been prohibitive. It's changed the theater, not for the better. You know, I've been a Broadway theater goer for over 50 years. I started going regularly when I was 12 years old. So I've seen the changes. And the biggest one, of course, is that Broadway is now a tourist economy. It didn't used to be that way. The percentage of tourists that go to the theater over regular New Yorkers, tri-state area people from Connecticut and New Jersey, it's completely upended. It's upside down. 
And so the Broadway theater and its producers have to market to the tourist trade. And that's why you see so many big expensive musicals and much fewer plays that come to Broadway that are original. If you want original plays that are really of the moment and striking and tantalizing and feed your brain, you go off Broadway. Then of course, <laughs> those shows are super successful. They end up moving to Broadway. If you look at the Tony Award nominees in any given year, four or five of the nominees started off Broadway or at a regional theater. Uh, very few original plays just come together and are done on Broadway. Uh, it happens rarely. Uh, Gary with Nathan Lane was a, an example of a play that just was an original play, uh, a tough sell, but the producer, Scott Rudin, decided he wanted a big star and got Nathan and decided that it could be done on Broadway. And it was a grand experiment. It wasn't successful financially. I'm glad it was there. And I hope producers will take more uh, brave and bolder choices. Again, they may be able to if the economics are more in their favor. So that's something I'm looking forward to. Whether or not it pans out, who knows? I mean, perhaps everybody's just want to go back to business as usual. I don't really know how, because if the tourist industry is the major source of the gross revenue and the tourist industry is not what it was, what's going to happen? New York City has been the epicenter in the United States of this virus. How many tourists are going to want to say, that's my number one destination? Let's see. I mean, we're, we're just not going to know. I agree. May Again, something only time will tell. That's right. So we'll have to adjust. Uh, the idea of opening theaters and only selling every other seat, I mean, I, 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 that's, I don't think that's going to fly. I, I really don't. I don't know how that works. Well, yeah, even picturing it just looks weird. Yes, and I, I think they'll lose too much money. You, you know, you cannot play Lion King to 600 people instead of 1,200, you know? It's going to be interesting. Also, you know, what shows come back? I think that's going to be uh, front-page news when it does happen. I think a lot of Broadway shows may just call it a day. I've lived through two or three various strikes that happened in the theater over the past half century. There was one in particular back in the 60s that when we came back after the strike, it was a musician strike, I believe. About four Broadway shows or five Broadway shows closed, just just ended their runs, just, you know, couldn't sustain it in the weeks they were gone and decided to just call it a day. That will happen. It's already happened, even though only two shows have said they're not coming back. Well, yeah, speaking of which, well, those two shows were Hangman and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but there's actually a third now because Beetlejuice won't reopen at the Winter Garden Theater when performances eventually resume. And we should say uh, it's because, well, Scott Rudin already had the Winter Garden set for The Music Man with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster for the fall. What if The Music Man doesn't come in? There is that scenario. It could happen. I've read that as of now, they're still planning to open the fall, but if the pandemic keeps on extending, I could see them at least postponing for the time being. Yeah, you never know. You Jackman, you know, might just decide, you know, guys, I think I better make a movie. I put aside this year to do this show, and now it's not the same year I thought it was going to be. I mean, I'm just saying, things happen, so we don't know. Next news story is actually more movie-related because it was recently announced that for next year's Oscars, well, there's a couple things happening. One, the categories of Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing will be combined into one category, not to mention that streaming films will be eligible for the first and only time for at least this year, given that a number of movies that were planning to be released theatrically are only going to be released on VOD. So what are your thoughts on that? 
you know, they've opened a door, uh, so it may be hard to close, meaning uh, the films that will be eligible if they don't run the theater. Uh, for your audience, the old uh, rule was a, a movie had to run for one week in a theatrical engagement in theaters in Los Angeles. That was the rule. So now they're suspending that and allowing for some films uh, that will be streamed instead of opening in theaters, but it has to be films that announced a theatrical release. So don't think that just because you're watching an original movie on Netflix or Amazon, that movie is suddenly uh, available for an Oscar. Uh, the producers would have to have made that clear that it was originally intended for theaters, number one, and then number two, every film that wants to be considered for Oscar nominations is gonna have to run on the Academy's streaming site and you probably read this, Jeffrey, uh, between the lines, that uh, every one of those films has to pay $12,500 to run on the stream. And uh, <laughs> a lot of movies aren't going to be ready to do that. I think the sound mixing and sound editing was a very wise choice because over the years, uh, those two disciplines have merged. They've blended because of the way sound is done electronically with computers. And the sound people are often overlapping in those two places. And it wasn't, uh, as most uh, people might think, just a way to get one less award to take up time on the usually overly long broadcast. It actually came from the sound people themselves. Uh, they put in the request uh, and it was granted in a vote. They decided it was better for them to not have it split up like that. Uh, it was causing certain divisions of people to say, hey, I worked on the sound editing. How come because I was sound? How? You know, that kind of thing. So, and it is better that there is one less award to give out that night. Well, yeah, not to mention that there have been reports over the years from people outside of the sound branch not really knowing what the differences are between sound editing and sound mixing, which for our listeners here, sound editing is the creation of the sound effects, while sound mixing is the balancing of it all. That misunderstanding of what the actual differences are is kind of part of the reason why both awards often go to the same movie. Yes, and, and people, even though they're uh, in the business and are members of the Academy, are admitted uh, on the basis of the particular branch with which they're associated. But you're no expert. I mean, if I was in the, let's say, uh, actor's branch, I get to vote on sound mixing and sound editing. What do I really know about it? Nothing. As much as what you just said is as much as I know. Uh, again, the nominations are done by the peers. So whoever comes up with the, the five nominees are, are put together by members of the Sound Academy, uh, acknowledge experts in their craft, so they can do better at nominating. But then when it comes to the actual voting, it's open to everybody. You can be you know, a producer, you can be a writer, you can be a film editor, and you get to vote on sound, and vice versa. A sound expert is suddenly you know, voting for best actor. But that's the way it is, that's the way it'll always be. But I think to make it just a, a more truthful experience, you know, let, let, let's let's make uh, sound uh, an easier thing to judge as opposed to, oh, that's sound mixing. Oh, that's sound editing. I should point out that one of the films you've acted in was actually a movie that was nominated for both sound awards back in 2006 to 2007. That was Clint Eastwood's Flags of Our Fathers. I forgot that it got nominated for sound. That's uh, That's cool. The British Academy Awards, otherwise known as BAFTA, does have one sound category. So, yeah, I guess it does make sense for the American Academy to do so as well. And as for streaming films, well, and again, which I'm 
I'm sure I've already mentioned this, but yeah, only films that were planning to be released theatrically, but will be available for streaming instead, will be competing. So, for example, Bad Education, starring the aforementioned Hugh Jackman, is a movie on HBO, but it was always intended to be on HBO, not to be released theatrically. But I do remember a few years back, about 10 years ago, when the HBO film Angels in America premiered, like, I don't know, probably like around September or something, there was talk that the reviews were so strong and the movie year had been particularly weak that if HBO had run Angels in America in a theater for one week in Los Angeles, it could have been nominated and would probably have won a bunch of Academy Awards. Oh, even over Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Yeah, I've always felt that that was a year where they just went, oh, uh, it's time to give it to Lord of the Rings as opposed to any great feeling of we have to, have to, you know, give this movie an award. It would, I, I felt like if it had been the year before, the year after, the competition would have knocked it out. You're always only as good as the movies you're up against, you know? That's why it explains certain years where a movie, you know, goes home with, with nothing as opposed to a year where something like Lord of the Rings won 11 Academy Awards, you know? In another year, it wouldn't have won 11. It was just that year. It was just the luck of the draw, so to speak. Well, yeah, though, then again, given how complex of a story Angels in America is supposed to be, it probably was best to have it done as a miniseries as opposed to a movie where they wouldn't have to make as many compromises to the plot. Yes. In fact, it was supposed to be a movie for many years, but nobody could crack it. So it wasn't until they decided to do it for television and in two distinct parts that they could do it the way they did. It was four parts, wasn't it? They ran it over four nights. It was two hours each night. Something like that. It might have been, yeah. But in any case, though, as for the films that were planning to be released theatrically, but have been at least delayed, could you see any at least making decision to go streaming as a result of this announcement from the Academy? You mean uh, for the future? Well, at least this year, where they're only going to have this rule in place for now. Yeah, this year, they had no other choice right now. Otherwise, you know, you're looking at the possibility of no Oscars at all. You know, what if movie theaters really don't come back until uh, much later in the year? You can't crunch all those films at one time and expect the voters to be able to see them. And, uh, most of the voters are going to be seeing them at home. There's no question about that, because a lot of people just are not going to want to go to the movies. They're just not, especially if they can watch them at home for free. If you're an Academy voter and you've got a big, beautiful television set, even though it's much better to watch them in theaters, uh, you're going to stay home, I think, in this in, until... The smoke clears with this, uh, you know, next year might be completely different and people will go back to theaters happily. Mm-hmm. This year, uh, you know, they've done the right thing. It's the only way to keep it going outside of canceling. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure there won't be a Tony Awards at all. Well, yeah, they might just take the year off. Right. I think they may just have to call it a, you know, call it for what it is, you know, just in a, an extremely weird situation that uh, unfortunately, you know, couldn't prompt a, a ceremony. And I'm bummed because I go to the Tonys every year and it's something I look forward to, you know, for 364 days. Well, I tend to what my question was, could you see any more films that were planning to be released in theaters right about now, but, you know, at least delayed? Could you see any of them going streaming as a result of the Academy's announcement? No. I mean, for instance, the James Bond film will play in theaters. They'll never just send that out to to television. They can't. They'll lose too much money. It costs so much money to make. Those films, well, just, they'll just wait. They'll just be patient. They'll just wait. 
Well, yeah, same with Disney when they delayed a bunch of their movies, such as Mulan, Black Widow, etc. Yeah, and they have no other choice, really, you know? You've got to have the theatrical release. That's the whole paradigm on which they base, you know, spending that kind of money so they can make it back in movie theaters. And also, they haven't figured out how much a movie should cost, really. You know, I think we're heading to the day where there will be a movie opening, like a James Bond film, and you will be able to watch it at home that night. But they have to figure out what it costs. $30 is, sounds right, but it might be too expensive. But then again, you invite seven friends over, and then they're losing, you know, all of that admission money. I don't know. You got piracy to deal with and everything else. It's a sticky issue. But we'll, we'll be there one day. One day. Movies will be released and you'll watch them the same day, I think. Well, yeah, not to mention that the upcoming film adaptation of the 2008 Tony winning musical in the Heights, which was supposed to be released in June of this year, has now set a new release for June of next year. That was surprising to wait an entire year, but I think they see that as a summer film. It's set during the summer, isn't it? Oh, yes. That's right. So, yeah, it's fascinating. The whole thing, you know, it's for greater minds than ours. I'm sure there are people just sitting around talking about this all day long, trying to figure out how they're going to manage. It probably is a better idea to have it released way down in the future as opposed to saying a new release something within the next few months, but I have to delay it again. It was also a common thing during World War II. A lot of films were delayed. You know, Casablanca came out like a year or more after it was made for various reasons. I've been looking at that because I love watching old movies and I'll, I'll do some digging and I'll find out that, gee, that movie was actually made in 43 and they didn't release it till 45, you know, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, not to mention Jessica Lange did a movie, Blue Sky, that was made in 1991, I believe, but was on the shelf for a while. I believe one of the reasons was due to director Tony Richardson dying, but it was finally released in 1994. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's definitely a precedent for holding back movies. Sometimes there's rights issues and sometimes, uh, well, you know, the famous Orson Welles movie that finally got released last year that he had been working on since the 1970s. That was a whole rights issues thing that got finally got settled. Yeah, so I guess next news stories are a bit of somber ones as a few people have recently died for different reasons, no, none of which were as a result of the coronavirus. Like, actor Brian Dennehy died at the age of 81 from natural causes a few couple of weeks ago. Yes, and uh, I will say that the day we're taping this is the great uh, Broadway lyricist Sheldon Harnick's 96th birthday, and he is still going strong. So we can celebrate at least that before we get into talking about people who we've, we've lost. But uh, Brian Dennehy was uh, just a fantastic actor and, you know, devoted himself to both film and television and was a late bloomer. You know, he really didn't start to achieve any great success until he was uh, 40 years old. And I love stories like that. I got to see him on stage many times. You know, his death of a salesman was really a riveting, riveting experience. It was one of those shows where I walked out afterwards and, you know, I had to be careful not to walk in front of a, a moving car. You know, you really are dazed by the experience. I even went out and had a drink, which I never really do. You know, I never feel a need to have a drink, you know, but I really needed a drink after that and had one about five five thirty in the afternoon. I even went to the theater that night, believe it or not, because uh, I was visiting from Los Angeles and I saw Judy Dench in a play called uh, Amy's View that uh, they ended up both winning the Tony Award. So I saw the two best actor, best actress, Tony Award winners in one day. But I was still not quite over Death of a Salesman while I was watching Amy's View. 
Yeah, not only did Brian Dennehy win the first of his two Tony Awards for playing Willie Loman's Death of Salesman, but he also received one of his six Emmy nominations for a TV production, which also won him a Golden Globe. And I've been fortunate to see Death of a Salesman on many occasions. I'd hate to put them in a category of like who was the best, uh, because both uh, Dustin Hoffman and Philip Seymour Hoffman, all three of those guys, did a fantastic job with the role. And there's also a London production with an all-black cast uh, that stars Wendell Pierce, who maybe some of your listeners know from uh, his roles on The Wire, and uh, he's on the Jack Ryan series with John Krasinski. Wonderful actor. And there was talk about that coming over, uh, which I hope will happen. Although I heard that Scott Rudin's planning another revival of Nathan Lane and Laurie Metcalf next year. That was announced, and then they had to do like a retraction of it. It kind of was leaked prematurely. I think it's a planning. Uh, and of course, now with the coronavirus, everything's on hold. But uh, I would love to see Nathan tackle that part. He's, he's wonderful on this new series uh, on Showtime called City of Angels, uh, where he plays a very grizzled uh, cop, uh, Los Angeles detective, circa 1938. It's a wonderful part for him. He's, he's terrific in it. There's only one episode so far, but uh, I recommend it strongly. Oh, yeah. He was recently profiled on CBS Sunday Morning about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people got very upset when after the Adams Family, he said something about, I don't think I'm going to do any Broadway musicals, you know, for a long while. He really wanted new challenges. And gosh, he really has just stuck to that. I mean, it's fine with me. I mean, this is a guy who is tackling material that is worthy of his talents. You know, not that a Broadway musical isn't, but, you know, he's kind of proven everything he can with that. And, you know, how many great years have he got left? You know, he's 64 years old. And, you know, I think it's just marvelous that he's he's doing what he's doing. Takes a lot of courage. In fact, just the other day, well, Indian actor Irfan Khan, who appeared on the big screen in the 2008 Best Picture winner Slumdog Millionaire, as well as 2012's Life of Pi, has died at the age of 53. I mourn that greatly. I thought he was an extraordinary actor. The first time I saw him, or at least the first time I really stood up and, like, bolt right up in my chair and went, who is this guy? Uh, was on the HBO series In Treatment with Gabriel Byrne. Do you remember that series? Uh, I know of it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's based on an Israeli series, and he plays a psychiatrist. And um, you visited with you know, his Monday client, his Wednesday client, and his Friday client. So you'd, you'd watch it weekly, and you'd get three different stories. In the second season, Irfan Khan was one of his clients. And I'm telling you, after the first episode, I, I, I couldn't believe how powerful this guy was sitting in a chair smoking a cigarette and telling his story. I, I, I figured he must be like the Marlon Brando of of India. And of course, I looked it up, and he is, or was, considered to be that. But 53, I mean, that's a tragedy. But he had yeah, this go. very rare, very rare cancer. We're going to not have any more great performances from him. It's, it's a terrible shame. Yeah, gone way too soon. Originally, I was planning to end this episode with a discussion on the recently deceased director, Peter H. Hunt. However, my conversation with Ron Fessler ended up going on for almost an hour with the second half dedicated to Mr. Hunt. So I decided to save that part for a separate episode that will be released on May 18th. Meanwhile, that just about does it for the news of this month. You can expect new episodes of this series on the first Monday of every month. I will be back on June 1st to discuss any bit of entertainment news that I found interesting and or important. If you love this show, please leave us a review. 
Go to ratethispodcast.com slash podcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at CareReviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.